Hey, how you guys doing? Gabe DeArmond, Gerard Hamilton here. Power Mizzou live on a Wednesday afternoon, fresh off of a uh, Missouri commitment. This one in football, Dennis, or I'm sorry, in basketball. Uh, Dennis Gates picking up South Carolina four-star big man Jordan Butler, number 102 player in the class of 2023. Uh, the third top 150 guy Gates has in his initial recruiting class here at Missouri. We've got a story up on the front page of the site. Either Drew King or I hopes to talk to Jordan tonight and have a little bit more information about why he chose Missouri. Certainly we'll, we'll have that for you guys as we go along. But right now we're going to talk a little bit of football with Gerard Hamilton. Gerard, what's going on, man? How you doing? Doing well, doing well. I got a notebook coming up for you guys tomorrow, so I just knocked that out and I'm ready to talk about uh, the Gators. Yeah, here we are. We'll talk we'll talk a little bit of Florida. We'll recap a little bit of uh, Georgia before we do that. We will uh, give you guys a reminder as the banner scrolls across the screen throughout this show. This Our shows are sponsored by James Carlton State Farm out of St. Louis. He can take care of all your auto, home, life, insurance needs in the state of Missouri or the state of Illinois. You can reach him online at carltoninsurance.net by phone at 314-961-4800. There's a Facebook page there as well. If you're watching this show, you know how to Google things. Just Google James Carlton State Farm and you can get in touch with him if you tell him that you heard about uh, his agency on our show or our website. He's going to give you a quote and donate $20 to Missouri's NIL Collective Advancing Missouri Athletes. Uh, Again, as I anticipated, uh, we will have some basketball comments and questions. We'll, we'll answer those as we go, but we are talking football. But if you guys have questions, comments, anything like that, throw them in the queue. We'll get to them kind of the second half of the show. So, Gerard, before we get to, uh, you know, this weekend in Gainesville and uh, your first experience making the worst trip in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, you didn't have to say that. <laughs> it, it's awful, man. Let's go back to last week. Um I don't know, man, just overriding thought coming out of, of Georgia, because I, I think there are two different ways to look at it, and I'm not sure either one's wrong. So it, what was kind of your overriding feeling coming out of that game? I, without talking to you, you know, I feel like we have the same thought, and our predictions later are kind of going to go back and forth based on which side of that thought is prevailing stronger. I mean – You've got to be excited with the defense. That defense is not only is it way better than last year, and not only can they beat the teams that they're supposed to beat and handle them, but they can they can play with the big boys in in this league. So that's definitely comforting. Problem is that offense. You could you, the the offense and the fact that you think okay, it was one thing to get you know punched in the gut versus all you know at Auburn and should have won that one. It's another thing to basically be leading 90% of the game versus Georgia at home. And then, you know, you can't get the job done. It just, you wonder, are they going to be like, okay, we we did this with Georgia and we basically held Auburn in check. You know, we're going to do this to Florida. Or are they going to be like, how many times, you know, we, we've talked about this mm -hmm. all week. Yeah, I thought uh, Darius Robinson. You know, I think I think he said the strength coach shared the story of, uh, you know, the guy that just kept pounding at the stone in the first hundred times it didn't break, and then on on the first on the hundred and first time it broke, and and the moral of the story is it's not the hundred and first time 
that broke that. It's it's the combination of the first hundred, and you just got to keep pounding at it. It's frustrating for fans. I'm sure it's frustrating for the team, but I, I can't decide. And and I think this week's what's going to tell the story. Like I've actually been surprised at fans and especially our message boards reaction seems to be overridingly positive coming out of that game and just hey you know i'm gonna i'm gonna take the optimistic point of view that they did this against georgia so they can do this a number of more times whereas in the back of my mind there's yeah they were there but they didn't get it done and so it doesn't really mean anything if you don't go you know kind of make that translate over the next seven weeks I do want to point out that part of the the why the fans, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more positive than you expect is in the beginning before the season started. We said if this team went six and six, and it was a six and six where even in the games they lose they were competitive, mm-hmm. that would be progress. Although we don't know if they'll get to that six and six, this was progress. Uh, you yeah. know, at Auburn was progress to see the the fan base almost you know fully pack the pack four field um, four row field that. Like that was positive. And then I put in a tweet yesterday that said like that was the second most clicked on YouTube SEC football game or something like that. You yeah, know, most streamed had, game. Yeah. yeah, something like that. And people are saying like, wow, people people were tuning in, people that I didn't know really knew or cared about Mizzou. Like that's probably why it seems a little bit more positive. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I was getting texts throughout the game from just people across the country that I know that were like, Yo, what the hell's going on there, man? Like, like what, was, what's happening in this game? I was getting, I was getting people sending me like the eyes emoji because they like they knew my prediction. Yeah. <laughs> just like right. uh, that, or when they seen that I posted the pregame thing, everybody was just like, including myself. I was just thinking, I don't know if if this pregame thing is going to benefit them, and it clearly did. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm. You mentioned the atmosphere, and I'm just kind of curious because like. You know, I've been at Faroe Field for big games before, and that felt like a big game. Like, from the outset, that crowd, it felt like a big game. I'm just curious, kind of, really, your first chance to to be in an atmosphere of, like, you know, covering, hey, what what felt like a big-time college football game. I mean, what was your impressions of, of that atmosphere? And, obviously, we can't necessarily hear a bunch. We're behind big, closed glass windows. But, like, you can get the feel for it. Um. For me, it was probably, I mean, the LaTeX game, that that seemed like a pretty good atmosphere as well. But I feel like, to me, based off this season, it was the first time where I was just like, this seems like the other SEC stadiums. Like, this seems like Auburn, big SEC football. Yeah, like when we went to Auburn, we said into that going into that game, going into the season, like Auburn's beatable, Auburn isn't winning the national championship. Like, but they were still packing the house. Like you couldn't tell me that there wasn't still close to 80,000 people, you know, in that stadium. And, but it still feels like Missouri may have that big 12 ish feel to it still though. Like they have their, their loyal supporters, but maybe not the way the sec does. Or when Georgia came, it definitely felt like, okay, this is, this is the sec football that the other teams and other States talk about. Yeah. And it, for me, it was the best atmosphere at Faroe Field since since the game where they clinched the SEC East against Texas A&M in 2014. It just it had that feel from the beginning. And, uh, I, you know, we'll, we'll move on to Florida shortly. But I, my feeling kind of was from from the false start at the one yard line, like there was never really a point after that that I thought, hey, Missouri's in control, like 
this is going to, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is going to go their way. I mean, the third quarter, they, they, they held on, but it, the, the whole fourth quarter just felt like kind of a countdown to, can they get this clock to zero, zero, zero before Georgia goes in front? And they could. Yeah. I was telling you guys, you should have heard Gabe after the first quarter. He was saying, I don't know. I don't know. They may have it. And I said, Gabe, don't, don't start doing that to me now. Don't start doing that. And then by the, when halftime was coming up and they get broke that big run, I said, Gabe, all right, you done got me. But when they went in 16 to three to 23, we both looked at each other and said, ah, that's not the same. That is not the yep. same thing as what we were talking about. Because keeping it at three scores and you get the ball back is definitely different than the two-score game, you know, being up 13. Like, Georgia just really needed one stop. And then I felt like even if it got close, if it got between one possession, you can, like, sports has that momentum shift. And you definitely knew that was going to come at some point. Yeah. So, look, this weekend, Florida, I don't know what to think of Florida, man. Like, week one, they come out. They they beat Utah. Um, uh, the country's already got Anthony Richardson's first name engraved on the Heisman Trophy. He's the the greatest thing in quarterbacking, you know, since Cam Newton and all that. And then really, they could have lost every single game since then. They lost to Kentucky. They lost to uh, well, they couldn't have lost to Eastern Washington last weekend, but that's not a real game. That's like Abilene Christian. But they lost to Kentucky. They lost to Tennessee. They probably should have lost to uh, South Florida. I mean. Realistically, this could be a one in four Florida team. I I don't know if Florida's any good or not. The way this team uh feels to me, um Missouri and Florida feel like similar teams on different sides of the win-loss spectrum. Like how we said, how you just said, you know, Florida's three and two and they could be one and four. Missouri's two and three and they could be four and one. It just depends how each team decides to look at it. So if Missouri believes we should be 4-1 and we're going to go in there and play like we're 4-1, they'll probably win. If Florida looks at the record and says we're still 3-2 and two for a reason, we can get this done, especially a team reeling, we could win. Right. And, and every – honestly, I feel like almost every team in the country, you could change their record by three or four games if you change three or four plays. The good teams make those plays and win. The bad teams at the end of the year go, well, we were only three plays from nine and three and convince themselves that that they're not that far away. But that's why you're not a good team because you don't make those plays. And Missouri hasn't so far. So I'm going to get to a few of the comments and questions. And I had a few along these lines. And Kyle wants to know, do you think the offense can flip the script like the defense did last year toward the end of the season? I think the offense will be better in the second half of the season than it was in the first half of the season. I think part of the reason is they play Florida, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, an Arkansas team that's not very good on defense, as opposed to playing Georgia, Auburn that still has a, a solid defense, K-State that I think has a good defense. I, I think the schedule's easier. But when I look at this offense, I just don't see the pieces that tells me they can make this major leap. Like, the only position on offense that I feel good about is wide receiver. I mean, running back's fine, but running back, and, and running back is you know it's it's an imminently replaceable position, right? It, it relies on so much else. But and wide receiver kind of comes with the caveat of well, if Dominic Lovett's not out there, then That's I don't feel why good. I had that face. You are yeah. confident in Dominic Lovett, <laughs> right? And, you know, he can kind of and Barrett Bannister. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was gonna say how Dominic Lovett's presence, even if he was to have a bad game, 
he's starting to get that recognition as the number one wide receiver, which would open it up for everybody else. Without him, we clearly see what happened, you know, in the second half without him. I would say the running back is probably the most consistent and best just because they don't have a caveat, although it is the yeah. most replaceable thing. And then I also think already you've been out with Hyron White the, the whole year. You lose uh, Zeke Powell. They are one injury away. Like we already think the offensive line is shaking. You're one injury away anywhere from it being a a catastrophic type of yeah. problem. Well, and, and I'm not sure it's not catastrophic now because even though they've played better the last two weeks, like what's the biggest issue in that game on Saturday? two penalties on the offensive line. And it just, even in a game that they play really well and take the number one team in the country to the wire, I mean, the offensive line can't get out of its own way, man. Yeah, that drink said he wants, I mean, he said this every week, they've got to clean up those things. But um, yeah, it doesn't matter if they play their best game, which that was their best game of the season. And then like teams know at some point, we just got to hang in there because they're going to shoot themselves in the foot, you know, Mm-hmm. They're going to do something to give themselves a self-inflicted wound, and we just got to stay af- stay afloat. Yeah. So uh, Cameron asked, and, and this is a good question, and we could do an entire show or two or three shows on this, but what are the legit criticisms of Brady Cook from your perspective? There are limitations everywhere else, but would QB play elevate both of those positions? And I think it was at the end of our show Saturday night after the game where somebody said, I don't think Brady is the reason they're losing these games, but he's also not the reason they're winning games. And I feel like with the limitations everywhere else on offense, the difference between a good season and one that might not be very good is the guy behind the center just being able to drag you to a win or two. And I think it's fair. Like, I don't think Missouri has that at quarterback right now. They definitely don't have it at on this roster. And the first point you made of, like, he's not going to win or lose you games, I think where it says there are limitations at O-line and T.O. with that elevate, I think that depends on who you're comparing him to maybe. Like, depending on who you switch out at quarterback from Mizzou depends on how much this elevates this offensive line and the tight end play. You know? So let's just use this weekend's game. Like, Anthony Richardson has a lot of faults. But there's going to be a game at some point this year where Florida gets outplayed and Anthony Richardson just is good enough to win them the game anyway, right? He's going to make some plays. Um, I, I think Brady Cook, he hasn't made catastrophic mistakes. He's not the reason Missouri is getting beat. But also, when they got the ball back on the 25-yard line with four minutes and three seconds left, I don't think there was a person in that stadium that thought Brady Cook was taking Missouri down the field for a touchdown. Man, this team has so many, like, what-ifs to it. Because while you're right, in his question, when Cameron's question, it says worth another W or two two to this point, I still feel like obviously they're two and three, but they should be four and one, and it's not his fault that they're not four and one. He's put them in enough position to get them there, and we've got there's got to be some more accountability on the other positions or the coaching Obviously, he's the quarterback, but there's got to be accountability on the other people to pick up their part in this and say that, I mean, in Auburn, where he really struggled, he made the pass. Obviously, Lovett made the adjustment, but he got them down there when it it counted. So, I don't know. It's tough because it's the most, like, magnified position in the ultimate team sport, right? I mean, 
plenty of other guys could have made plays to win those two games, but also Brady could have made plays to win those two games. And I feel like he makes a few big plays, but the, I mean, I posted the numbers about throwing deep on our message board, I think this morning or yesterday morning, maybe. And that's where the play calling comes in to me is most fans are saying, Hey, they're too conservative, blah, blah. I think Missouri's actually too aggressive. They're, they're throwing the ball deep as much as anybody in the SEC, and they're not hitting any of them. I think they've got to go to a just a very short, controlled passing game, throws that they know he can make, and just go down the field six and seven yards at a time and hope sometimes you break a tackle and, and, and pick up 20 or 30. I agree with that, but here's where the accountability comes in. And I've seen, I seen you post that, and someone made a point that it always feels like they're in first and 17 – second and 20 because there's always penalties or something like that that puts them back and when you do that then if they start doing the little screen passes or the drag routes or whatever getting four or five yards at a pop at that time then you're just like what are you doing you obviously need to get more yards so i do think they need to do more especially with if they do not have love it who's day to day but mm-hmm. i don't know it's he's not cook is not getting any help he can't his I feel like he can't be maximized his full potential because there's other limitations going on. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I feel like there's an equal number of plays where he's got time and nobody's open, but also there are plays where either he has no time or somebody is open and he misses them. Like, it's always just one thing that's breaking down, and it's never the same thing, but something is always breaking down. You're not lying. <laughs> and that's a problem. I mean, that's just, that's just a problem. Uh, Pat says, uh, based on what you've seen, was freshman Bazelak better than current Brady Cook? So that's going back two years when Connor Bazelak, like he was, I think, kind of what Brady Cook is this year, where they didn't ask him to go win a game. It was just don't make mistakes. Uh, Brady is a better runner. He brings that to it. I think Connor's a little bit better passer, but like overall, I think it's just six of one half dozen of the other. I'm not sure this team would be appreciably better with Connor Bazelak under center, and I don't think they would be appreciably worse either. I think they just traded one okay, one average quarterback for another average quarterback, to be quite honest. From what I know, just with the little study I've done, uh, him being a pocket quarterback, I feel like just having what well, we said in the uh, – in the press box when Cook made that scramble out, and it seemed like usually that was when he a nice scrambles, play. Yeah, he scrambled. Sometimes he holds the ball too long, and some of these sacks can be on him, but he actually got out the pocket. He used all the time he could, got to the sideline, and then threw it like 25 yards to love it or something like that. Um, that's something you probably wouldn't have gotten from Basilak. And, you know, Brady Cook for a minute was the team's leading rusher for like a few games. So that's probably can open up the playbook just a little bit, I feel like. Right. No question about it. Um, okay. We're going to run through, uh, I got, I got a, a few things I got to get to. Uh, so we'll, uh, we want to run through these questions. Um, it's going to be a little bit of an abbreviated show just, just cause I got some stuff going on. Um, but I do want to run back through these questions. Uh, Nathan says, what have been the early sentiments about horn in practice? Everything I've heard, which is just kind of whispers and, you know, this and that is, look, he's not ready yet. And and that's obvious based on the fact if if they thought he was ready, he would be in games. And he's not in games, not even as the second guy. 
you know, so I think the question now is, do you think we see Sam Horn on the field this year? I think you like, does he play? I think he burns a red shirt, but I think he plays. Now, wait, let me, plays? well, let me ask you this, how this red shirt thing was before I even said it. So let's say, cause they got New Mexico state, they end at New Mexico state and Arkansas. So even if it gets within those last couple games and he hasn't played for it, could he still play then though? Oh yeah, he can. Okay, he can if that's play. if that's the case, then I think in a game like New Mexico State, um, he may be able to get some burn. But yeah, just he isn't. You know, he isn't ready, and it, it stinks that they couldn't get him no PT uh, versus Abilene Christian. That would have been a, a yeah. good chance too. And the way this team and how feisty they are, I don't know how many opportunities because the games are either too close or not. It's not a comfortable enough lead for Drake for him to be like ah. Oh, we can, you know, start subbing, you know, too many players out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess New Mexico State, he probably plays, right? If he doesn't play in that game, like, what are we doing here? You know, because they might be worse than Abilene Christian. Uh, okay, show me Mo says Drink needs to figure out how to score in the red zone. He has red zone issues. I, that's partially true. I mean, they did stall out a couple times in the red zone, but three of Harrison Mevis's field goals on Saturday, they didn't even get to the red zone. It wasn't red zone issues. It's just, I think more than red zone issues, they just have offense issues. Like they just can't string together enough good offense. How many, how many, uh, what, what yard line would they be at for a 41 yard field goal? I'm still trying to, uh, that's, that's around like the 23, 24. Yeah. Okay, so that that's technically it's outside not quite red zone. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So that means four of his five kicks. I think it was mm-hmm. 41, 49, 52 and 56. Okay. So that's why you would say you have him, but yeah, they've got to punch it in. Even that false start, everybody knew it was bad because their run, uh, their run blocking is far worse than their pass blocking. And that's kind of unique because most offensive linemen would tell you they like to run black, a uh, run block mm-hmm. more and run block better. So, right, that's just like get in front of the guy in front of you. And yeah. just lean on him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, Kyle says, uh, have we heard anything about Chance Looper? So you were at practice yesterday, and it looked like he might have been at practice. We don't know for sure if it was him because, like, dudes sometimes wear different numbers because of scout team and all that. I mean, we haven't asked because we've been waiting a while, but it is kind of coming up on that, that time where you would – think maybe in the next couple games they got a chance to get him back yeah i thought i saw someone wearing number two in white which they were who looked about chances build but i couldn't really confirm that with anybody that it was him i think i seen somebody tweet out that on the media call drink said he doesn't expect a chance super to participate this year um oh really okay yeah so uh if it was him that was i mean if that was somebody wearing number two in white which represents the offense during uh, practice, I believe that, that probably was somebody running some type of scout team type of thing for uh, Florida. Yeah, that's a that's a tough blow if they're without him all year, man. I mean, I guess at this point, they've been without him for the first half of the year, so nothing necessarily changes, but that's a guy that, that I think they were really counting on. Uh, question from earlier, thoughts on Armand Mimbo? It's earlier, but early, but I think we got a really good one. Um, yeah, I mean, look, if you can get on the field as a true freshman on the offensive line in the SEC, like you've got some promise. And I have, I'm not going to pretend I've sat here and watched Armand Mimbo play 
a lot or, you know, individually during these plays. But I think uh, I think it's definitely a good sign that he's out there as, you know, the, the first or second lineman off the bench. Yeah, I mean, getting experience versus Auburn versus Georgia, I mean, like that's much better than getting experience versus Abilene Christian in New Mexico State. You can actually kind of right. see what they can do. And this was the first game I felt like on somewhat a semi-consistent basis, although their run game or run blocking isn't great, like we saw holes and we saw the running backs able to go through them because of what they could do. So, And I, I think the best thing – I can say about an offensive lineman is what I'm about to say about Armand Mimbo. I've never noticed him. Like I've never, after a play said, Oh man, 79 hurt. got hurt on that play. You know? So yeah. that, that's a good thing. That is a wonderful thing, especially considering how much some of these people, the offensive linemen are starting to sound like position players, <laughs> the way they're talked about. Right. Yeah. Um, so You'll be going down to Gainesville. Uh, I don't know, man. What do we think about this? I mean, just just give me kind of a, a hey, Missouri wins if you know, kind of a, a kind of a key okay. to the game type thing. Missouri wins if one it brings that same energy that it brought versus uh, Georgia. Two, if Anthony Richardson becomes a pocket quarterback. If that happens, I mean, at that point, I start thinking. How much can you win by? Because he didn't have a, a passing touchdown through the first three weeks of the season. Um, he didn't get in until he faced Tennessee. He has four touchdowns, six interceptions. So he, he, the way you guys felt about Adrian Martinez, he may be that way. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that could be this week. So really those two key factors. And obviously every week this will be one until the, the run blocking gets better is can they get the run game going? Tell me if this is too simple. If Missouri has Dominic Lovett and Chris Abrams drain, they can win this game. If they don't have either of those guys, I mean, that's two of your three best players, man. I don't know how they go winning Gainesville if neither of those guys can play. They definitely did stall out with uh, without Dom in the second half. So that is that is true. At this point, I, you, you told me before we got on here that uh, Missouri's next three opponents are some of the worst in the SEC, though. So Defensively. Yeah. yeah, so if Missouri's defense, which we've seen is one of the better ones, can hold them down, and it and if maybe Mevis shows up and go, does another four four five five type performance, they could maybe sneak out one because I think they could still get you know that front seven. They they could still cause some havoc. Maybe it, it'll be interesting though. Defensively, I feel like they have to approach this completely different than last week. I mean, last week they were bringing pressure from all over, coming at Stetson Bennett from all different angles. This week. I would never blitz, never just try to get pressure with your front four, pick somebody. I don't care if it's Damian Wilson, Jalen Carlisle, Dalen Carnell. I don't care who it is. Somebody's a spy on Anthony Richardson and you literally just sit there and keep him in the pocket. Like it's more important to keep your rush lanes than it is to pressure him because I can live with him throwing for 300 yards and beat me. I can't live with him running for 200 and beat me. Yeah, they're going to – I feel like they've been good this year as far as having their defensive ends contain the edge. They will – they will. They are going to need to have a spy there, um, Tyron Hopper or or Damian Wilson. I feel like – I mean, with, with KAD – I, I feel like that's why that star position exists. Martez Manuel well, yeah, or Dalen yeah, Carnell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, you I'm tripping, yeah. You, you can have one of those. I was just about to say um, – 
I know JC was running some some star play. I mean, uh, some spy plays last week. But with KAD out, you're going to have to make sure that your back line is actually doing back line things most of the time, right. just because just because you can't afford it. And, and KAD's made a nice transition to the outside. Yeah. So, guys, uh, Mizzou, Florida at noon on well at eleven your time our time on Saturday at noon, uh, the time where Gerard will be. So we'll have, uh, we'll have stuff from that. Gerard will join us from the press box at Ben Hill Griffin stadium after on Saturday, we'll do a live show. We'll have full coverage again. Mizzou picked up a basketball commitment four star Jordan Butler. We've got a story on that on the site. Uh, we've got interviews tonight, plenty of stuff coming up. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, hit the like button, subscribe, do all the things that let people know we're on YouTube and all that. Uh, if you listen on the podcast, I'll put that together when we are done. Share that. Leave us some nice comments. Do all those things. But more importantly, uh, support our sponsors and our sponsor for this, James Carlton State Farm in St. Louis, Missouri. It's got a lot of stuff for teen drivers that uh, he wants you to check out. If you've got a teenage driver in the house or, hey, if you're just looking to save a little money on your insurance, whether it's life insurance, uh, you know, auto, home, whatever, just give James a call at 314 314- uh, hang on, I gotta wait for the phone number to scroll through there. 314-961-4800. You can get in touch with them at carltoninsurance.net. Uh, those are the ways you can reach out to him, tell him you heard about it on Power Mizzou. That not only makes him feel like his money is well spent with us, but he's going to donate $20 to Advancing Missouri Athletes, Mizzou's NIL Collective. So we will uh, talk to you all on Saturday, but stay tuned. I'm sure plenty of stuff will happen between now and then. See you later.